Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of BYOB, the healthcare podcast. This week, we have the ability to interview two great leaders in the industry who have come together to learn from their processes of going through the administrative fellowship process, talking and learning from the mentors and the leaders that they've been able to gravitate to, to create a great venture and organization known as Accelerator. Today, we've got Chelsea Perry. Chelsea Perry is a senior manager of product development at CVS Health. There, she leads product development for telehealth and e-learning platforms and other stealth initiatives, as she calls them. She's also the co-founder of Accelerator, which will be the topic of today's podcast. She describes Accelerator as a diversity talent development platform connecting users to employers and mentors for career advice, referrals, and professional coaching. Prior to this endeavor, Chelsea began her career as an administrative fellow at Kaiser Permanente after she graduated with her MHA from Virginia Commonwealth University. In 2019, she was recognized as Teladoc's Health's annual She Powers Health Under 30 Award recipient, honoring individuals championing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Bravo and welcome to Chelsea. Our second guest is Ino Okechukwu. He is a co-founder as well of Accelerator, but his day job is working in strategy at Johnson & Johnson, a fellow strategy, uh, we'll say consultant, colleague uh, in the space that, that I occupy today. There at Johnson & Johnson, he leads work in innovation as a manager, uh, business innovation and venture design. Uh, one of the things that he spoke about quite a bit in his organization uh, and in his content that he provided for us was how he's bounced around from different organizations and what he's learned as he's moved through the process of not just working at Johnson & Johnson, but of all the experiences that he's brought to the role that he's in today. He's had a variety of entrepreneurial experiences uh, as he founded a business during college. Uh, he spoke on the podcast about what that entails. And he also holds his MHA and his bachelor's from the University of Missouri. Go Mizzou. Um, arguably in the SEC, um, where it seems all of college football is going these days. Uh, really excited for everyone to hear the episode. A really great organization that I think a lot of people who are now in the space uh, across healthcare have come across in one way or another. With that, we'll jump into the podcast. Sure. Thanks so much, Freddie, and, and thank you to the BYOB team just for having us here tonight. This is my first podcast, so I'm really excited to be here to, to be here with you all tonight. Um, and so I can I can start by just talking a bit about myself. Uh, as Freddie mentioned, my name is Chelsea Perry. I'm one of the dynamic duo uh, teammates, I guess you could say, a part of Accelerator, and have been working on this venture with my friend and colleague Inno for wow, nearly the last three years, I would say. And so just a bit about my professional and personal background. I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area, born and raised. I went to the University of Maryland where I studied community health before public health and health equity was, was a popular topic in our industry. And I was really curious about ways to kind of parlay my experience on the public health, community health side to figuring out what it was gonna to take to become a leader in healthcare. And at the time that looked a lot like 
hospital administration. And so I, I decided to um, further my educational journey. I studied at the university, or excuse me, at Virginia Commonwealth University and got my master's in healthcare administration a couple years back. And from there, I went on to do what's called an administrative fellowship at an organization called Kaiser Permanente on the West Coast. It was really my dream to, to live in Los Angeles, California. So I shot my shot at that opportunity, but I had also grown up with that organization in my own backyard here in the DMV. So I was really ex excited about an opportunity to get out there and understand a little bit more about uh, integrated medicine and healthcare delivery systems. And from there, my, my healthcare journey has taken a lot of twists and turns. I finished a fellowship a couple of years ago. I moved back home to the DC area after my parents uh, got stationed in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, decided to come back home and be a bit closer to my family here on the East Coast. Um, worked for organizations big and small like MedStar Health in the DMV area. Also spent some time at an organization called Davida Kidney Care, really getting um, a, a better understanding about a sort of niche aspect of the healthcare industry, and that is dialysis. And that's brought me to my current role at CVS Health, where I serve as a senior manager of product development for our dialysis, dialysis ventures team. And work on a, a myriad of projects um, and products from e-learning to telemedicine to some stealth initiatives that I, that I can't tell you about here in this podcast. But that's just a, a brief overview of my professional journey. Uh, and I'm happy to share more along the way about sort of career pivots I've taken, decisions um, I've made, and also how all of this feeds into uh, NO&I's Venture Accelerator. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your background, Chelsea. Definitely want to jump into some of those areas. And, you know, we, we definitely will hear a little bit about those stealth projects. We can get them out of you later. And I would love to hear a little bit about your background, um, what you do in healthcare today and, and how you got to be a part of Accelerator. Thanks, Freddie. And uh, thanks, guys, for uh, inviting us on the show and uh, have definitely been um, hearing some of the episodes and you guys are turning out some really awesome content. So this is uh, cool to be on. Freddie, I'm giving you uh, seven out of 10 on the last name pronunciation, which is a higher than average score. Um, you got to come in with a little bit more, more oomph and like confidence on the back end of it. Uh, I, I will say as someone who has a, a last name <laughs> that is impossible to pronounce, and uh, Joe can attest to this, was butchered by every professor at our graduate institution. I feel you and I'm sorry for murdering yours. Okay, I'm having flashbacks to substitute teachers coming in, you know, a roll call, you get halfway through. The O's were right about halfway through, you know, three quarters halfway through the, the list and you're that anticipation is building, it's your your name is chopped and screwed. I'm like, this is, this is amazing, um, but no, good effort. Uh, and yeah, so just a little bit about myself, somewhat of a similar professional path uh, to Chelsea, you probably got there in different ways. So I'm originally from uh, Baltimore. That's uh, I'm born in, and raised there to about 14 years old. And then uh, I moved to St. Louis. And uh, so that's really where I'm out of. Did high school there my more formative year. So that's really where I got a lot of my, you know, kind of growing up experience and whatnot. Went on to University of uh, Missouri, um, studied um, uh, in undergrad, did health science, and then ultimately went on to grad school to do health administration. You know, um, going into college, um, I pursued healthcare um, because one major reason, uh, and it's like I, I'm Nigerian and I had the opportunity to go back to Nigeria when I was a kid um, and really saw like in a very like uh, kind of moving way the that health, dis you know, just the impact of health disparities. 
to be totally fair with you, I didn't know what the hell a health disparity was like when I was like 13, 12, 13 and experienced this, but like it made more sense as like, as I became older and wanted to do something in healthcare. So yeah, that was the experience that kind of attached me into like pursuing healthcare professionally. And then once I got into grad school, um, I always had a, uh, an interest in, in, in business on the business end of things. So I didn't want to practice uh, or do like the clinical side, but like, let's do masters. Uh, I did my master's in health administration and wanted to uh, be, uh, you know, a strategist and leader within healthcare. Uh, so I went on to do an administrative fellowship, um, which you, which your audience is probably super familiar with at University of Wisconsin Health in Madison, Wisconsin, which, you know, that plays a huge part in like my story as well. Moving up to Madison, first time ever in Wisconsin. Um, and, uh, and then, um, yeah. And so uh, today I'm with uh, Johnson & Johnson. I just started with them uh, a few months ago and uh, primarily working in strategy and innovation there. And um, my focus as a manager on that team is with uh, business innovation and venture design. Uh, when I think about healthcare in general, and really just the world in general, like tech is just such a big part of it. And tech has always been like, a, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, things are going to move in this direction, but how are they going to move? What's going to be like the big um, sort of, uh, you know, companies or ideas or pieces that really come into play here and move healthcare forward and other industry forward in like in a really important way. But then also like as a leader in this industry, how do you, how are you in a position where you can impact that? Um, and so that, that, that venture um, and innovation piece was always super important for me to learn early in my career. And so that's why I pursued this role and ultimately ended up at Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, that's, but that's my professional background. Um, happy to talk about Accelerator and ask the questions. Hopefully I didn't miss anything there, but yeah. No, that's great. Thank you both for that introduction. And I think our listeners will resonate a lot with parts of your background. Uh, I know I did want to say congratulations on the, the new job. And I know what it's like to go to Wisconsin for the first time. That's where I did my undergraduate career. Shout out to my Golden Eagles, even though we can't beat DePaul on a Wednesday. <laughs> um, but I still uh, have a lot of love for that state. Absolutely. Would love to hear from both of you just what is Accelerator? What was the reason for founding an organization, a, a place like that? You know, what is it that it provides for people who are in our space or looking to join? Uh, the the ranks of the administrative spaces of healthcare. Sure, I can I can start. Um, really, at its core, Appcelerator is a diversity, talent development, and recruitment platform um, slash program where we're connecting sort of the three primary stakeholders in anyone's job search process from a company perspective to to a candidate perspective. And and those three stakeholders are the companies the candidates that are seeking roles at those companies and sort of at the periphery of that process, all of the mentors, insiders, and folks that want to help usher in great talent into organizations, but perhaps don't have a formalized role role in that work. And so Accelerator is really an effort um, by myself and Inno to sort of bring those three parties to, to the table in a meaningful way and um, sort of galvanize those groups uh, to ultimately get more black and brown professionals in, in highly coveted seats and, and ones that could ultimately lead to leadership positions in, in certain companies. Um, we'll talk a lot, I think, in this episode about our start in the healthcare industry, but also want to share more about, about where we're going. But at the highest level, that is sort of an overview of what we are. Um, and we can even share more about what we do specifically um, for those that engage with the Accelerator platform. Ino, did you want to add in anything there? 
Yeah, I mean, that 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 does cover it. And, um, you know, so at the beginning of this, um, it, it definitely started off less uh, concrete as far as like the, you know, the description of it. We knew a couple things. Um, we knew that what we were building was important for us because we were who we were building for. And so we're both black professionals in corporate spaces. And, you know, early on, we both had experiences where we were like, you know, you know, put our hands on our head and it's like, you know, we have conversations with our friends about being the first, you know, diverse person in this role or the first black person in this role or, you know, but that should not always be the case, you know, and hopefully in the future, you know, that's not a, a point that, you know, brings people a lot of pride because there are people that came before them, right? It's uh, it's it's good now because you're breaking barriers, but in the future, we need a lot more uh, diverse uh, candidates um, and professionals in, in key roles. But at the beginning, um, back in uh, <laughs> late summer of 2019, uh, Chelsea and I were both uh, like we, you know, we met professionally in conferences and stayed friends uh, throughout the years. Um, but we were we were pinging each other back and forth on just like you know text, you know, every couple months um, about hey, like what are you doing outside of work just to like have like bring value to your life and like these sorts of things. And you know, um, Chelsea. Uh, um, had a startup, which, you know, she can um, talk more about. Um, and then I had a business, you know, I had a business that I founded back in undergrad, which was another whole, whole other study was story. It was, it was an apparel business, but it gave me some foundations about entrepreneurship. So that was really cool. But we were pinging back and forth about, you know, what can, you know, is there something to do here? Is there an idea that we can bring to the forefront? And through those conversations, it turned into the idea of taking the value of, mentors and insiders in roles that people want to break into and giving and, and sharing or, you know, transferring that knowledge to, you know, folks that are pursuing those roles. And is that a valuable exchange? Is that a valuable process? And so we kicked it off with a pilot cohort in 2019. Um, we, we, we came up with the idea like, you know, on a Friday, and I think the following Friday, you know, or Monday, we put out um, the application to kind of run this pilot. Um, and the whole purpose of this was like, is mentorship, but even more importantly, like deep career coaching, is that valuable to folks and as they're pursuing competitive careers? Um, so in this, for this use case, we, we, you know, we use fellowships as a use case because we know they're pretty competitive, but um, ultimately it was about, is that transaction like, um, does it work? And actually something I missed that I want, you know, I think I was, you know, I wanted to share was you know, when we're thinking about, you know, ourselves and our professional experience, something that was really impactful, impactful for me was when I, when I went to Wisconsin, um, I was, you know, I believe like the first black fellow or maybe a second or like, but one in a really long time, but just generally speaking, there's not like a lot of like diversity um, in, in, in Wisconsin. And so in, in my health system and, in, in, you know, somebody, my preceptor was uh, the COO, he was a black executive. And there was another black executive at the time. So we had two and I was like, holy smokes, this is what it looks like. You know, this is like, you know, status quo, right? Uh, not a chance, but I was in a, I was in a one-on-one -on -one with him. So as a, as a fellow, uh, we used to go to their one-on-one -on -one meetings and, you know, really just like follow them around and do a lot of projects with them. But I can't, I remember this one time early on in the fellowship where I went to a one-on-one -on -one with, um, with the other, it was my preceptor and the other black executive. And they were friends from the army for about 25 years. And 
it was early on in my fellowship and I swear I thought we were going in there and we were going to be talking operations and like financials and like what's the strategy of this and that and it couldn't be further than what the experience was it was really just them as friends chopping it up mid of the middle of the day and bonding and just like having like that little five to ten minute experience at the beginning of their meeting just like being friends and being cool and that was so impactful for me because I was like I wanted that like selfishly I wanted that experience with another you know somebody else you know my peer my age and so that was part of like the value that I you know and the motivation behind starting Accelerator at least for me personally so yeah, I was, I was going to say, before we dive in more about the Accelerator, kind of wanted to, to go back to the, the genesis of the idea. Uh, both of you described working at these fellowships. Chelsea, you, you moved to LA and then post-fellowship, you moved back home. And, you know, it, it sounds like even though you met a great mentor at, at Wisconsin, you're no longer still at the University of Wisconsin doing the fellowship. So was your experience in the fellowship, I know you talked about not seeing a lot of diverse hires. Was that something that like was the the first moment where you realized in a professional field you could be you could help set up that program for someone? And how long did it take for for you to realize that? Was it like in grad school you realized that when you were working on the fellowship or some point after? That's a really great question. I I would say like the the fellowship wasn't the first time that I noticed there were dearth of, you know, underrepresented folks in leadership positions. I think that's something as an underrepresented minority we see every day in in television or in media. Um, We see in our own professional industries. We even hear, you know, perhaps our parents talk about their struggles at work, connecting with different individuals that may not fully identify with their background. So I would say for me, at least, the fellowship wasn't the first time that I sort of had this aha moment, but it was the first time that I thought deeply about how I, Chelsea Perry, could be a part of a movement um, to further what I wanted to see uh, as far as representation in the healthcare industry. And so, um, you know, Inno talks about my first startup. It was uh, around that same time where I was figuring out wanting to, you know, do a diversity recruitment platform of some sorts. It didn't look exactly like what we're doing with Accelerator because there was no coaching element to it. It was purely just a community of people that were on a platform exchanging value in whatever way was organic. But I think, you know, really the impetus for sort of that work that I was doing alone before I partnered up with Inno to really make this thing grow was that um, I was in the fellowship program. As a second year fellow, you get an opportunity to be a part of the recruitment process and see um, the executives make their decision at the end of the day of like, what are the fellows that they're going to select to be um, essentially their their mentees over a two-year process. And I'll never forget being a part of those conversations as a fly on the wall, second-year fellow, and hearing a particular executive make a comment like, you know, at the end of the day, we've we've selected our six candidates and not one of them is from an underrepresented community. And so he was even questioning whether there was some bias in in the selection process. And I was like, wow, um, this is really interesting to hear a white guy sort of put himself out there, be vulnerable and recognize his own bias. And really all that did was um, essentially open up an opportunity for two additional fellows that were not gonna be selected otherwise to join our program. And so that was a really formative moment for me in trying to figure out what I could do um, at the entry level to be a part of of a movement. Didn't have any sort of executive 
executive power, didn't have a team of my own that I led inside the workplace as a fellow, but knew on the outside of what I was doing with my organization, there were certainly things that I that I could do to sort of scale um, efforts to, to recruit more people into, into highly competitive roles. And so that sort of started um, our, our journey together as Accelerator. And so as you're working through that pilot in that first year in 2019, how many people did you get to sign up and was it just you two as mentors or had you already started to, to plan that part, part of it as well? It was just us. <laughs> it was tough. Knocking, it was so hard. Um, but it was really, really, really uh, value. Like it, it added so much value to our day to day. And so it was worth uh, every, every sweat and tear. <laughs> there might have even been blood there. But yeah, that first cohort, we brought in uh, 20 students and it was all virtual. So this is like, you know, folks from like USC and from like Cornell and like from, you know, Florida, like just all over the place. And we were, they were all meeting us for the first time. And we were the mentors and coaches for the, for the program. They were all meeting each other, but everyone was in there was super mission oriented. Like they all wanted to commit themselves to a process in which they could like uh, essentially level up and, and, and reach this like goal that they had uh, marked out for themselves or, or, you know, acknowledged for themselves, um, you know, it, you know, over the course of that first semester or, or year um, before going or before graduating from their graduate program. So, uh, you know, for us, uh, it was a lot to, to take on because we were also working our job and, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, in our roles where they had their own responsibilities and hours and commitments. Um, but we felt like this was important um, because it, it was an opportunity to prove something, uh, prove that this is valuable and prove that this that works. Um, and so that was really um, probably the, the, the key point that kind of drove us to like, like wake up every day and say, okay, how can we keep doing this? And how can we like uh, roll it out in a way that it helps those, help the students be successful? Definitely. And I would just add, you know, too, like one of the things that's sort of an undertone of this entire conversation is that we were doing a lot of this work before it was Accelerator in terms of just connecting with people, networking on LinkedIn, talking about our fellowships. I know you guys were probably doing the same thing of having people reach out to you and having informationals dispersed throughout your days um, as you were um, in your in your first roles, wanting to impart to others, like how excited you were to be with your organization and how to like break into the organization if that's what someone was hitting you up for. And so really this first pilot cohort was an attempt for us to sort of like scale our individual efforts too and, um, you know, throw some structure behind it rather than having like onesie twosie conversations with people, like really applying a design framework in terms of like, you know, should we, should there be a curriculum? Um, should there be certain data elements that we're collecting um, that, uh, we can attribute our mentorship and our coaching directly to someone's success in a way that, you know, we weren't doing um, by ourselves when we were having a lot of the, the mentorship conversations with people that were interested in our opportunities. So um, it was it was tough work. I think both Inno and I were like operations managers for the first time during that time, too. So we had our we had other folks to babysit, too. Got some um, fires to put out there. Yeah, right. <laughs> a lot. So can we talk a little bit about you know, I'm very familiar with the administrative fellowship process. I went through it. I'm part of the process now for my organization. Where does Accelerator come in? And if I'm a student currently in a graduate program, uh, I know it's more than just administrative fellowships, but let's use that example for now. What does that look like? When does it start? When does it end? And uh, how does it look different from just going through the process of you do your phone calls, you start to apply, you gain interest, you get your interviews, 
you know, you, you get the ball rolling. Where does Accelerator come in that and take us through that process? Yeah, so um, I appreciate the question. And so for Accelerator, how we structured it is every person that comes, every every student or job seeker, really, that comes into the into that into Accelerator and is matched with a coach um, is really provided that personalized guidance and career coaching along every step of the way. For fellowships specifically, one thing that we do great is that we match up, you know, fellowship people that are interested in pursuing fellowships primarily with people that have done fellowships and completed that process and are aware of the hurdles and challenges that will exist along that path. Um, and so then, as you mentioned, there's other, you know, roles like consulting and startup and all tech and all of this, those sorts of things that we help students pursue as well. But for the fellowship process, we really come in wherever students meet us at. Um, we ideally they're coming in because the fellowship process is like there's a time bound component to it. Uh, they're coming in earlier and the majority of students do late summer, right after internships are done, most likely uh, paired up with a coach. And uh, the first about eight weeks or so um, are online sessions and peer um, uh, sort of peer development because um, everyone's pursuing the same uh, similar paths professionally and uh, coaching one-on-ones. And this, I mean, this really includes every, like it's, uh, everything from mock interviewing to revamping your resume to how to reach out appropriately on LinkedIn. Um, it's everything you wish you would have known if you'd went, I mean, that you would have known if you went through the process before because you're working with a coach who has gone through the process before. So from that perspective, we knew that was a really important component of Accelerator is having coaches that have been there and done that because the, uh, you know, you know, the placement and success of the students is really important to us. And so, you know, using folks that have been, you know, have essentially, you know, solved this puzzle or uh, before is, was, was really important. Um, so yeah, so your first eight weeks is um, a lot of con- is very hot content heavy, uh, ramping up and optimizing you as a candidate working on your funnel of applications, like what makes sense? Like, do you actually know what this organization is about or this company is about? I think there's a lot of big brand names when in, in healthcare and just in general, professionally people, um, I think what I found personally and, you know, and talking to friends is that a lot of folks don't have, um, including myself, like in early in my career, don't have like a very sophisticated way of looking for jobs. It's like, do I know someone that's worked there before? Is it geographically close to me? And I've like seen like their sign or whatever. Or have they come to my school in a career fair and like pitched me on like, you know, an internship and I got into the company that way. I want to touch on that, you know, because I remember when I went through the process, you have the discussions of, do I want to go to the, you know, the top name or do I want to go to the regional place where I think I might get a lot of visibility? Do I apply to 30 or do I apply to 15? Do I reach out to three people or do I reach out to all the fellows? How many of those conversations are you guys having with, with potential candidates and people who join Accelerator? And is it all the way from, you know, soup to nuts, you guide them wherever they want. Like, I'm interested to know where those interventions come in and, and where have you seen the most success with, you know, your cohorts that have come in and out of the program? Absolutely. So, uh, that, I mean, that's a good call out. And I think, you know, the way to describe it is it absolutely is soup to nuts. And there are a lot of moments that matter um, along, you know, along the process. So folks come in and um, within 30 seconds of looking at a resume, you know if this is up to par for a fellowship that will have 200 applicants or something like that. Um, once you get their resume in order um, and, and, and their profile as a candidate, which includes like their LinkedIn and like any sort of digital presence they, that they might footprint that they may have online, get everything in order, then it's like, where does it make sense to apply? What are you actually looking for? We hear like, I wanna go to a fellowship, but what does that really mean? 
I think in general, when you like really dive into it and work with a lot of students that are pursuing this role, what you find out is that people want really competitive and challenging roles that add a lot of value to the start of their career. And so truth be told, we found out early enough, early on that that was not exclusively fellowships. I think that gets pitched a lot in like the programs that folks in the audience are probably um, familiar with, MHA programs and MPH programs. But you're really looking for a role that's gonna start your career off very strong and give you the network and connections that you can need, that you need to like, you know, grow professionally at a probably faster than average rate, you know? But, you know, going back to the process, you know, where does it make sense to apply? Um, should you be focused on, you know, the, the organizations that are going to have a highly competitive uh, application pool? This is very similar to like applying to college. If you put all your baskets into the Ivy Leagues, that's going to be a tough go, you know, it, you know, because there's, there there's going to be a lot of people applying. But use a strategy, have those top buckets, have the middle, and then have the safety net. Um, and all of those can provide great experiences if you shape those experiences in the way you want them to be. Uh, so then once you get your application, like, you know, once you get your list going, then it's, okay, how do I reach out? How do I optimize? Like, how do I get my application seen, recognized? How do I make sure they know me before? Um, do I want them to know me before? All these things are important um, in how you do it, tactfulness, how you reach out, the wording in your LinkedIn message or your email is very important you know, follow-up thank yous, all these things that you may learn professionally after you get a great job and do. It's like mentors and insiders are bringing you that knowledge before you even, you know, experience it yourself. And so they, they give that to you. Then after that, it's um, interview practice. And that's actually where the majority of the effort is, is spent, is mock interviewing for behavioral interviewing and then technical interviewing, which is like mostly like case interviewing and problem solving and how to do it really quickly and how to do it impressively, you know, um, you know, know the organization you're applying to study it. Um, if you're applying to 30, then you're about to do research on 30 organizations, you got to know that. Um, so yeah, that's just really the process all the way up to like decision making so that, you know, our first cohort, we had some amazing students in there that had as many as like, four and five standing fellowship offers and like how to make a decision about where you want to go, what's the best you know, organization for your career what fits, what geography, do you want to go to this city or do you want to go to California or do you want to go to Florida or whatever you, you know, list options. Um, so it's really is soup to nuts, the, 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 the coaching there. So let's talk a little bit about the, the growth, right? You started with a pilot program in 2019, just fellowships, 20 students. How many cycles has it been since then? And I know we kind of alluded to it. You guys now help consulting as well and potentially other careers, how big has it grown from just that original pilot? That's a really great question. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about sort of how we did away with cycles, as you put it too, because we really wanted to make sure um, as a part of our growth strategy that Accelerator wasn't a seasonal business um, and that we could be fully operational year round and, and sort of um, including all of these other industries outside of healthcare, and specifically fellowship and, and really time bound recruitment process was and is um, core to that strategy. So I would say since we've gotten started in, in late 2019, we've been through about five or six traditional cycles, I guess you could say, in terms of um, both fellowship um, round one and round two, and also sort of our um, efforts with our consulting partners to bring in talent uh, during the heavy fall recruitment season and then spring where um, they're doing some follow-up recruitment and filling some just-in-time roles. And so 
um, as we think about sort of where we're going with Accelerator, it's going to be really important that we continue to have volume um, in those months outside of the really heavy fall and spring re recruitment seasons. And we can we can share more about our thoughts on how we're how we're going to do that, um, how that spans from HBCU strategy to to other ideas um, that we have in terms of engaging folks that wouldn't otherwise be um, privy privy to this process. One of the other things we want to talk about is is the success, right? And and it's one of the things I think you guys do a good job of marketing. But maybe for our listeners who aren't as familiar, what what is the success rate of someone who applies and, and gets accepted into Accelerator, and what do you attribute that success to? Yeah, so I mean, we've been, we've been really fortunate to have great mentors and contributors, um, coaches, and. Uh, now partners that help uh, Accelerator be successful um, with uh, with the placement. So you know, at, at the moment we're over ninety five percent in folks that match with uh, with with mentors being placed into the roles that they're targeting, um, and so we're really proud of that. You know, helping people get to that next level and um, also helping them discover roles that they might not have been aware of is like such a huge part of Accelerator. Um, so that's. That's 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 um, that's one that's really um, big for us. Another success success metric that like we're tracking or at least really interested in is our ability to help people um, get higher salaries than perhaps they were originally offered. And so a really key component too of the accelerator process is getting comfortable and confident uh, as a candidate talking about your needs from a financial perspective. I think one of the elements of the work that that we do with accelerator really is you know thinking through how we could be sort of a work economic development engine in addition to a diversity recruitment platform. And that means that people come, coming through Accelerator um, should command a salary that is appropriate for the 21st century, for 2022 specifically. And so our coaches really help um, our students get comfortable with talking about finances and, and what their needs are going to be. Of course, we know that there are some um, roles that are less inclined to, to be a, a partner, uh, help you through the ne negotiation process. Oftentimes, I remember hearing that things were non-negotiable, but we sort of help our candidates navigate those conversations in terms of um, salary uh, hikes or salary-based compensation um, uh, additions, and as well as relocation bonuses and uh, stipends and anything you can think of as it relates to additional PTO to like a cell phone, like we're going to figure out where we can get some added value for, for our, um, for our students and early professionals so that we sort of level the playing field. It's really interesting too, to read a lot of the literature, at least maybe uh, influencers on LinkedIn talk about pay equity and, and parity between men and women and um, even between different ethnic ethnic groups. And so we're keeping track of some of that data too um, from an accelerator standpoint so that when we go into partner conversations with organizations like Deloitte or Johnson & Johnson, CBS, we can talk about our success in terms of helping accelerator students specifically you know, start to grow uh, in their careers and start off at a salary that is that is appropriate for the level that they're in and for honestly the education that they've attained up until this point. And then also, what is no what is non negotiable? What does that even mean, right? <laughs> this is the great resignation. People are quitting their jobs to go start podcasts and YouTube channels. You're blessed that I applied to this, <laughs> so you gotta you gotta meet me halfway on the negotiation piece. Let you know that's so important because you know we we recognize that. Um, the more options the that the candidate has, the better off they are in those conversations. 
So a really important part to us is like upstream, it's, hey, don't put all your eggs in a singular company basket or a single role basket, give yourself options. Even if you don't want to, or if you don't ultimately rank that the highest role or the other one's the highest role, it'll give you leverage in the negotiation. Hey, I have a competing offer from this company or this company, your direct competitor is offering me 15K more. So I have an option there. And then sometimes you might apply to a company and then you're pleasantly surprised that they offered you $40,000 more than the next company, which was your number one. And then it changes how you view the, the role and the potential experience at that role at that company. So I do want to take this time to release a public service announcement. BYOB, the healthcare podcast, is not recommending that anyone quit their job at any moment to start a <laughs> podcast. Uh, I will refer you to Inno if you want to have that conversation. Um, <laughs> Well, they're, they're, they're paying, what they paid Joe Rogan $100 million for a podcast. He probably has a little bit larger of a following than you guys. No offense. But look, you know, it's, it's, it's a lucrative business, those podcasts. I want to call on a point that you guys, both of you, you called out earlier in terms of not everyone knows that certain roles or jobs are available. You know, a lot of times it happens in consulting um, and other things like that. Would you be able to speak onto that and how you're trying to bring more awareness of other types of roles that previously, you know, folks didn't really know about? Yeah, definitely. I think a part of it is, at least from my perspective, growing up as, you know, an underrepresented minority, and I'm sure a lot of us can identify with this, like we had a lot of direction from our parents in terms of like, what were the, the good careers, the quote, good careers to pursue, or even a lot of the selections that underrepresented and um, minority candidates sort of pursue in terms of job pathways may look very circumstantial. Like, you know, these are secure professions, right? You hear that word job security thrown around, or perhaps you're looking at people in your community and you see people that are in specific roles. And so that kind of becomes your worldview and your understanding of what exists out there. It dictates how you might choose your major. It dictates what sort of internships become compelling to you. And I think that a part of our work with Accelerator is sort of exposing people to um, other professionals that sit in these sort of roles with kooky names like product manager and helping them understand like what does a UX UI designer do and how that might dovetail into some, into some of the skills or experiences that could be intriguing to a candidate um, and helping them understand too how things that they've done in the past actually translate to some roles um, beyond uh, what may be, may be presented to them as options um, by their university. So that's a part of a part of the work. I think a second a second part to that though is um, really what we call like our mitigation strategy with a lot of our accelerator students. So you come into the program perhaps really focused in a particular area. You might even be fellowship or bust or consulting or bust, but your career coach is going to be working with you to set up some opportunities for you to network with people in positions that perhaps you had no idea were a good fit for you. And they're going to encourage you to, to continue to do, to do that networking throughout the program. And they're also going to help um, you with those inputs into that job funnel that Inno was referencing earlier and making sure that as the funnel narrows, the things that come out um, at the end, which um, are akin to offers essentially, um, are representative 
a, a diverse sort of smattering of options that you picked out from the start with your coach in terms of your strategy. So if you're, you, you don't end up getting the fellowship or if you don't end up getting the offer from your top consulting firm, there are some really great other options um, that were inputted into your job funnel at the very beginning so that you have that cushion under you at the end of the process. And ultimately we can get the outcome that you wanted when you sought, sought our service, which is a, a job that is meaningful and that allows you to continue to grow as a professional. Yeah, I, I I second all of that, especially the part about diverse smattering. That was amazing choice. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Uh, you know, just a couple of things to add to that is um, helping people discover the roles for their skill set that they just might not be aware of. Um, so you know, we've worked with folks with clinical backgrounds, and it's like, hey, this consulting firm really needs nurses that understand telehealth space you know, the telehealth space. And here's an opportunity for you to leverage your talent, your, you know, your skills and experience and talent um, in a role that's like categorically or like at least somewhat different than what you're currently doing today. Um, so just that part of discovery, but then also in general for like diverse candidates and for black and brown folks, you know, so much of what we do and, you know, so actually, so let me go back. Part of Accelerator, one thing that we do, one component of the program is a job board that we curate um, it includes like roles from our partners and, you know, you know, in roles that we think folks are generally interested in, but we also, you know, dive into like what sort of companies are on the forefront, what, are, what sort of roles do we want to have people be introduced to just by seeing it on a job board and clicking on it and say, hmm, what, that's an interesting company or role. Um, and that includes, you know, companies in, you know, Fortune 5 all the way to the startups um, and, you know, discovering those sort of roles so that, you know, black and brown talent can be at the forefront of, you know, the industry, um, you know, direction and, and, and really fill the roles that will be in existence, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, et cetera. So. I want to go back to, we were talking earlier a little bit about uh, negotiating for, for a better salary for people that go through the program. One of the unique things I think that you guys do is you have an income sharing agreement with people that go through the program where they're only paying a percent of their salary if they land a job. Um, so I think that's kind of a unique way to, to go about uh, you know, collecting money for, for you guys and, and making this business profitable. What would you say to someone who, who, would, who thinks, and, and maybe there are some of our listeners who think that it, it feels like you're you're kind of making or you're taking advantage of these students right because you're that's in you're, you're getting the money from them instead of from the the corporations who are looking to recruit the the students or alternatively someone might think that you know it's kind of tainting the process a little bit if these students are kind of paying to help land a fellowship wanted to to get your guys' honest thoughts on that yeah I'm interested to hear what you think about this, you know, but it's definitely a, a really interesting sentiment. And I, honestly, the reason, one of the reasons why an ISA become, became such a compelling sort of opportunity for us to consider. So like to your point, Nakin, I think about like paying tuition to go to college, like why aren't employers actually funding our, our college tuitions if ultimately the, the end product is us being a job ready hire uh, at the end of those four years for a corporation. One of the interesting things about college um, and, and a lot of the way we sort of transact as, as folks, um, buyers, 
is that we don't necessarily always get the value up front, um, that it's commensurate with our investment. So I think about, you know, college tuition, um, paying, paying to be there for those four years and no one necessarily at the university having a vested interest in whether or not you get a job at the end of those four years. I, I think we definitely, in our early conversation about business models, considered the ISA as an opportunity to sort of flip that model on its head and say, hey, you actually don't owe us anything up front, right? It's up to you and your risk tolerance to decide whether or not you'd be interested in sharing 5% of your salary with us at the end of this journey. But we're confident that we could get you the outcome that you intended coming into this program. And because we're so confident, we, we actually don't want anything from you um, in, in the early stages. Rather, we want to throw all of our energy into, into your success and be able to better ensure that, um, that you're successful on the other side. And so our incentives are aligned. And so that was our approach when we considered um, the ISA. The other um, thing that I want to make sure your listeners know is that there is an opportunity to pay upfront tuition to be a part of the Accelerator program. And so um, not everyone that comes into the program does um, become a part of that income share agreement model. And so that's something important for folks to, to know too. And I think one of the fun things about being a founder period is that you get to play around with different um, business models. And so I was saying the early stages of Accelerator, after we conducted that 20 person pilot, that was free that you know talked about in the in the beginning of the episode we were actually considering a fee for service model i know fee for service is sort of a bad word in healthcare right now but it was something that we were really considering in the beginning of like well what if we have people sort of a la carte decide whether or not you know they're interested in a mock interview or whether they're interested in a strategy session with the co- with the coach and and one of the things that became hard for us to kind of wrap our brains around was you know if we sort of um, assign a dollar figure to these separate transactions how can we at the end of the day sort of track our success metrics and understand where in the process we were we were beneficial to the candidate and could we ultimately attribute um, the role that we played in their job search journey to that outcome on the other side and so the ISA and sort of um, stepping back from that fee-for-service model was a way in which we could sort of um, pull together all the elements that we think are important in the job search process pour that into a candidate on the other side, be able to share in those wins and then ultimately communicate those wins to to partner companies uh, in the future that we'd like to work with. And I think a part of our long-term strategy is to have corporations, employer companies, um, you know, take on most of the burden, I guess you could say, or the investment on behalf of the candidate so that we can eventually do away with the ISA model. Um, We're currently working on a a platform um, where we can talk a little bit more about, about that um, where there likely will be no ISA um, for Accelerator uh, in, in a matter of, you know, one to two years. But um, I don't want to give give everything away. And I also want to give an opportunity, you know, to kind of share your perspective on the sentiment that it, it seems that, you know, folks may be paying to play. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a great hard-hitting question. You guys <laughs> told us you were coming in with the softball material and... <laughs> Here's the hard hitting, you know, questions. Um, I'm glad Chelsea had the first swing at that one. Um, but you know, you know the. So I I second everything that Chelsea said, um, but also from a business perspective, and also from a personal like perspective as founders who were once the students that we are like building this for, is we wanted it to be fully risk off for the user. And so having an ISA model instead of like a pay up front for like, you know, coaching service, 
it allowed us to do it fully risk off for the user and fully risk on for Accelerator. So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, we had a 90, you know, over 95%, you know, placement rate. So for the folks that have in place or like their year of coaching didn't, they didn't pay a penny. Like their, their engagement was, you know, completely on us. And, but those are coaching dollars. If you pay paying coaches and all sorts of stuff. Um, but, it, you know, that risk on version for us, uh, it challenges Accelerator to show up on our, on our end first for the user and give them the value in order to create that value exchange. And then just some like notes for the business, like, you know, for the coaches that we were pulling in, you know, when we did it as founders, like the first cycle, we did it out of our own time. Um, and I think we quickly discovered that anyone with a full-time job, like this is a lot to do. And, you know, it's a lot to dive in, especially when, you know, the, you know, users and students are going to want a lot of your attention and time and they're going to be sending you so many questions and like, you know, help me support on this, help me practice on this. And so part of it is that, to be honest, we, we, we talked to a lot of potential coaches and mentors and talked about, you know, this on their end. And what do you guys need in order to be really engaged in a way that makes sense? Because this is a, this really is, in a sense, a two way marketplace because the, the coaches um, and mentors and insiders on the platform um, also receive value in exchange for this, for their time and their effort and their coaching. And, and the, you know, and, and the users are, you know, landing amazing jobs. So um, that was big uh, uh, for them. And, you know, you know, some of the mentors are coming from, you know, actually most of them, all the mentors are coming from great roles and great companies. So we had to make it, you know, valuable for the experience. And that's part of it. Um, already talked about, in, in, you know, removing the barrier of entry, but that was like an important one. So if someone was like really wanting to land a, a, a competitive role and wanted the support, but, you know, they're a student in grad school and they don't have, you know, X amount of money for, you know, a coaching, you know, engagement, um, then they didn't have to take on that, you know, that, that cost up front. Um, but ultimately, like Chelsea mentioned, we're going to be broadening the platform to, introduce like a wider range of transactions or like engagements with users that range from free all the way in, in some cases to like a paid model, so. And now a word from our sponsor. As you guys know, we are sponsored by MGMA and we love talking about their upcoming conferences. Their MPE operations conference is coming up May 19th through the 21st in beautiful Austin, Texas. This event is a great way to make strong relationships with leaders in the industry and hear from experienced speakers about the state of the industry. It is a must for anyone looking to explore the operations side of healthcare management or anyone who hasn't had Texas barbecue. All jokes aside, this conference is important for education and connection. And as an added bonus, your registration includes a complimentary ticket to MPE Pathways DX, the digital experience in June. Head to mgma.com forward slash BYOB dash TOC to learn more and register today. Thank you all again for listening to our episode. A really exciting conversation with both Chelsea and Inno. Some of the things that you didn't get to hear on the episode, which didn't make the cut is just why they got into the space, um, what they do in their free time, um, and how they stay incredibly motivated, uh, not just through Accelerator, but a lot of the things that they focus on uh, in the avenues that they pursue. Uh, Joe and Nakin want to toss it to both of you in, in the way that they approach the episode. 
and, and some of the learnings that you took away from the folks who make up Accelerator? Yeah, I think it was definitely a good conversation. I think everyone today is really aware of um, the, the real deficits when it comes to diversity in the workforce, especially for um, more high level strategic type roles. So I think the work that they're doing in trying to provide greater access is really important. I think to their credit, they've really, really done a lot in terms of thinking about like who their audience is and how to make this a service that really allows um, the participants of AppCelerator to really succeed in the future. So um, utilizing a variety of different strategies, exposing all the participants to different types of roles outside of what their immediate thoughts are, because you know, as we've seen throughout this podcast, there's a lot of different jobs in healthcare and there's a lot of need. So I thought it was really great. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to second everything that, that Joe just said. So uh, I'll, I'll focus on something else. One of the things that I think Chelsea mentioned that I don't think gets talked to, about enough is that negotiation that happens once you get that job, whether it's getting a little bit more than the offer, even when something is non-negotiable, getting incremental in improvements and kind of covering that gap for minorities. And one of the things that I think was was really helpful to me was I got I was fortunate enough to take a negotiations class in the MBA school while we were doing our MHA. And I think Joe, you were you were in my class with me. And it it really just made me think about a lot of things that I think as a student, someone who's looking for their first job, you're not really thinking about. Right, like, and and I think we talked about it in the interview. The idea of your, I think they call it a BATNA, your best alternative to the negotiated agreement. Having a secondary option really can make a huge difference in in your negotiating power. But anyway, that the major takeaway there is that that's a class that I think probably would be great for MHA programs, and I would venture a guess that not too many have that. Um, and so I think that's an incredible service that they're providing in addition to, to what Joe, you talked about. The other thing I'll just point out, I was uh, really impressed with their candor and honesty about uh, the, the compensation method of, of how they're, they're getting paid, right? An income sharing agreement in their mind is helping to eliminate the burden of entry for the most um, at need student who's looking for some sort of support to, to land that first job. And so, uh, you know, major hats off to them, not an easy task and, uh, they handled it with a lot of grace. So really impressed with the, the work they've done at Accelerator, and hopefully, uh, we'll get more involved as we move forward. For anyone who is interested in any of the services that Chelsea and Nino spoke to, they've got some great new products that are coming out. Uh, you can reach out through their website. That's acceleratorprep.com backslash beta, and you'll get some information on some of the new stuff that they've got coming out. They're incredibly active across all platforms, so a quick Google search will help you find them. Thank you again to Nino and Chelsea for their time uh, on the episode today. Uh, we've got some great new episodes coming for everyone, and please take the time to fill out our listener survey. You should find that on our LinkedIn, and we've been able to publicize that on a few of our posts. Uh, really interested to get your input on how season two comes out for BYOB, the healthcare podcast. With that, grab your drink, listen, enjoy, and we'll talk to you next time.
And don't forget to share, subscribe, like the podcast across all platforms. Thank you. What is your drink of choice? It can be either alcoholic or not. Really good question. I I love a Moscow Mule. Um, I saw a tweet about how like Moscow Mules are like being made, renamed across the country because of some really um, unfortunate events that are that are taking place in the country right now. So I'll, I'll modify that to say like I've had good Mexican mules in the past with like mezcal um, and Russian mules, but it's almost like a Moscow Mule anyway. So any to replace the word Moscow with another city in their like signature drink and I'm there. That's my favorite. Uh, Moscow Mule is definitely a good one. My drink of choice for me is uh, whiskey ginger. Really simple, but uh, a good whiskey, a splash of ginger beer, a lime, and you're, and you're set. Um, non-alcoholic, we're going with Chick-fil-A Oreo milkshake. You have that uh, one. I think that's going to make flurry. <laughs> that's hardly a drink that is you there's no straw they hardly spin in the oreos it's in yeah you're getting the flurry machine's always broken <laughs> first of all you can only get it about seven percent of the time like, a solid 13 days out of the year you can get that um, <laughs> let's take a minute here to talk about our sponsor mgma we've already talked about their two upcoming in-person conferences a bit but we know that not everyone is ready for in-person events yet. The leaders at MGMA see that too, so they are returning their highly successful MPE Pathways digital experience from last year. MPE Pathways is an excellent alternative to MGMA's in-person events, as it includes sessions from the Financial Conference and Operations Conference, as well as unique content that can be enjoyed from the comfort of your home or office. Even if you aren't comfortable attending an in-person conference, it's still important to network and catch up on the latest healthcare management trends. So I highly recommend Pathways as an alternative. Head to mgma.com forward slash BYOB dash pathways to learn more about this innovative conference and register today.